0: They're in your food. They're in your drinks. They're in the air. They've been found in birds and fish. Microplastics are pretty much everywhere. And California may become the first place in the world to attempt limits on how much of it can be in your drinking water.
1: Plus, the latest on vaccine eligibility rules and the effort to recall Governor Newsom.
0: Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and Cap Radio. I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. And I'm Elizabeth Aguilera in Colorado this week. What brings you to Colorado, Elizabeth?
1: Well, Nicole, it's the first time we have flown in a year. We came to see my in laws. They have been vaccinated, so Yay. we decided we needed to visit. Yeah, it's been a long time.
0: Well, what was it like flying there? I'm so curious. It was really weird. We purposefully flew out of Burbank because it's a small
1: airport not a lot of people, and that experience was pretty good. And then, But once we got to Denver, which has been snowed in, our flight had been canceled several times, so the airport was just full of people who I think are trying to get in, trying to get out. We were surprised, and it was weird being around that many people. You're just kind of like, stay out of my bubble. (laughs) Um, So it made us rethink the decision, but we're glad we're here.
0: Good. Well, I hope everyone's safe and doing well. So let's talk about some things that happened in the news this week. Attorney General Javier Becerra was confirmed as the U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary. He is the first Latino to serve in this position, so it's a pretty big deal. There were some
1: questions about whether he would actually be confirmed because the Republicans— In Congress, we're really trying to, you know, trip up his nomination, but they did make it happen. The other thing happening is lots of counties are changing tiers in California, and that means more businesses will open. You might be able to get to maybe eat in a restaurant in your county or possibly go to the movies, but I think it's going to be weird.
0: It is going to be weird seeing lots of people everywhere. Um, As people get vaccinated, it's like we're thinking about maybe going back into the office for the first time since the CDC says that people that have been vaccinated can hang out without masks together. So that will be a weird transition for folks when we get there, right?
1: Yeah, definitely going to be a transition to be in the same spaces again, like we used to be
0: before. If you're not in a crowded airport, that is. That's right. The other thing going on is
1: recall signatures are in. So now is the waiting game for those signatures to be verified.
0: And we are going to hear more about this later in the episode from CAP Radio's Chris Nichols, so stay tuned.
1: So, microplastics can be found in just about anything we eat and drink, even in the air we breathe. It's a problem across the globe but California is looking to implement the world's first-ever guidelines for how much microplastic is allowed in drinking water.
0: That's despite the fact that there's no standard method to test for microplastics and no scientific agreement on what happens when you actually breathe and ingest them.
1: CalMatters environment reporter Rachel Becker has a story out about how the state is planning for possible new restrictions, but they won't have the force of regulations. Welcome back, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with a really basic question about this. Tell us what microplastics are and where can we find them?
2: So these are tiny pieces of plastic that basically range from the size of an ant to microscopic and they are everywhere they're in the air they're in the water they're in our food they're in pristine national parks in the arctic in antarctica they're in whales seals seabirds and even human placentas so really everything
1: Wow, that's scary. So are we eating these microplastics? Are we breathing them? How does this work? And how many are out there?
2: So scientists are are working hard on figuring out just how many microplastics are getting into human bodies, and it's really kind of, it's hard to tease out how much we're eating, how much we're breathing, how much we're drinking, but some scientists have tried, and um, one group in the Netherlands estimates that kids take in more than 550 particles a day on average, and adults take in more than 883. Uh, And there's another study that estimated people consume tens of thousands of microplastics every year. So I think there's really no doubt that these things are getting into our bodies. But the big open question is, you know, what are they doing once they get inside and how much is too much?
1: Is there any idea how bad the problem is here in California?
2: That's something the state is working hard on finding out. We really don't know yet. A state law in 2018 asked for four years of testing and monitoring. That hasn't started yet, but hopefully by the end of that, we'll have a much better idea of just how widespread microplastics are.
1: You wrote that the state is the first to try to tackle this in the nation, but also in the world. What is California trying to do in addition to the law you just mentioned from 2018?
2: Yeah, so that law basically set up a July 1st, 2021 deadline to establish testing methods and then also consider setting a health-based threshold for microplastics. Uh, There's one international panel of experts basically hunting through the scientific literature for toxicity studies, uh, and another international consortium of labs and water companies and research institutions and industry that are busy testing different methods for monitoring the drinking water, and everything's being correlated coordinated out of the state water resources control board and the Southern California coastal water research project, which is a public agency. They are really pushing to to meet this deadline. So I think in the next couple months, we'll have a better idea of the best ways to look for these. And also, you know, a first kind of hint for how much is too much in drinking water.
1: And do you expect enforcement mechanisms to be involved or do you think guidelines, regulation? What does this look like for microplastics?
2: Yeah, it can take years to really set an enforceable standard for drinking water contaminants. The hints though are that this health threshold is unlikely to be an enforceable standard. It's unlikely to carry the weight of regulation. It's probably gonna be preliminary guidance just to kind of contextualize the results that the testing reveals so that Californians can understand what that means in terms of health effects and water companies can understand what that means in terms of health effects. So it's most likely to be guidance rather than something, you know, strict and enforceable.
1: Has there been a determination about what levels are safe, at least in drinking water? I mean, how is that being determined? Because when I think about plastic invading my body or those of my family members, which I know that they do from reading your story and from just hearing about this over the years, I feel like that safe number should be zero.
2: Yeah, we really don't know yet what the safe number is. Um, you know, there have been studies in animal models uh, where rodents fed microplastics have changes to their immune systems and their heart tissue. Mice that ate microplastics had lower sperm counts, and the ones that ate really high doses also had more abnormal sperm. Again, in animal models, they can pass through the gut lining and cause gut inflammation, but... People are a lot more complicated than mice uh, and we're exposed to a lot of plastics and a lot of other chemicals just in our day-to-day lives. So the challenge is really expanding those findings in lab animals to uh, guessing at the effects in people and then also separating out the effects of microplastics specifically from every other chemical we're exposed to. So scientists are hard at work at that, but uh, it's really too early to say This law
1: deals specifically with drinking water here in California, but have we seen any restrictions on microplastics, you know, in other consumables or other areas?
2: Yeah, California passed a law about five years ago banning microbeads, the little scrubbing beads in things like uh, facial scrubs uh, and toothpaste. But these things can still get into the environment, you know, from synthetic clothing or rubbing off of car tires or just crumbling plastic waste. So um it's really it's it's a tough uh, situation to deal with without just like cutting off the flow of plastics and the use of plastics
1: This story made me think about whether bottled water is any better. I know I often default to bottled water over tap because you think about the things that you hear about tap water, like lead and mercury and metals. So is it actually cleaner and safer like most people think, or is bottled water just as bad?
2: Bottled water uh, seems to be worse than tap water when it comes to microplastics. So um, I know one study estimated how much people were taking in microplastics, and they found that folks, they estimated, that folks who were drinking mainly bottled water might be taking in an extra 90,000 microplastics annually uh, compared to 4,000 microplastics for people who drink tap.
1: Rachel Becker, environment reporter for CalMatters. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Nicole, this is so strange, isn't it? That we all have plastic inside of us. We're breathing it. We're eating it. I definitely want to see some sort of regulation it's very it's creeping me out
0: yeah it's pretty gross to think about the other thing that i was thinking about is it just this is such a california thing right to try to be the first (laughs) to get a handle on this even though it's something that everybody is still trying to figure out right that's right okay coming up. If you're still not sure when you might be able to get in line for the COVID vaccine, we'll have the latest on eligibility rules.
1: And Gavin Newsom starts the fight in earnest to keep his job. Stay tuned for more California State of Mind. It's California State of Mind from Cap Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Elizabeth Aguilera.
0: And I'm Nicole Nixon. Well, Elizabeth, another week has gone by, and you know what that means. There's new criteria for who is now eligible to receive a COVID-19 vaccine in California. Of course there
1: is. It seems like just when you figure out your place in line, something changes.
0: And it's causing a lot of extra anxiety for people who are trying to figure this out. Totally. And it's possibly making things more complicated for Governor Newsom as he finally addresses this recall effort by name and vows to fight it. Joining me today to talk about the new vaccine requirements is Cal Matters Health Reporter Anna Ibarra, and Cap Radio's Chris Nichols is back for some recall fact checking. Anna, Chris, welcome to California State of Mind. Thanks for having us.
3: Great to be here, Nicole.
0: So, Anna, I want to start with you. How to get a vaccine is at the top of most people's minds these days. Our newsroom hears from people every single day wondering if they're eligible, what they should do to get on the list. What's the most recent development here? Who is eligible and what can they do if they want to get the vaccine?
4: Yeah, so this week, millions of more Californians became eligible, about 4 million people, people with underlying conditions, um, medical conditions and disabilities. And, you know, that includes people with cancer, kidney disease, people with Down syndrome, Uh, women who are pregnant, people with type 2 diabetes, sickle cell, you know, heart conditions, and of course, people with physical and developmental disabilities. So that's been the work of people in the disability rights group who really pushed for this. But late last week, we also saw that other essential workers were added to the list. That includes people um, like transit and airport workers. And people who work and live in congregate settings, including homeless shelters. So many more people who became eligible. Of course, being eligible only means you can start trying to book an appointment, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you get an appointment right away. So people who fall under this list, they can check with their provider, go on the myTurn website and check for an appointment there. I think the MyTurn website now links to local pharmacies. So you know you kind of can go through pharmacy, the community clinic route, the larger vaccination site routes. There's also a number there if you feel more comfortable, you know, calling in.
0: I want to talk about the health issues and the people, you know, with heart disease, things like that, that were added this week. Advocates for people with disabilities have been concerned for a long time that they would be left behind, right? Do they feel that this addition is enough to address their concerns, and the people who really need to get vaccinated?
4: Yeah, so I think, you know, many will tell you that this should have been the case many weeks back, uh, but we are starting to hear from people who have, uh, were able to secure a shot um, this week, or at least an appointment. Um, that said, you know, I've also heard from people whose uh, family members are maybe more fragile and, you know, can't leave their home. So they're wondering how exactly does their family member get a vaccine? Um, you know, I've checked the uh, state's website for information on this. And the only thing I was able to find was, um, you know, check with your provider or your county for um, options. So I think there are still some questions and some barriers uh, for at least some people within this group. Well, another issue
0: here is more possible line cutting, right? Because you are not required to Prove that you have cancer or prove your BMI right. So, this has already been a problem. Are there concerns that there could be more line cutting now?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's raised some red flags. You said this could potentially make cheating that much easier. That said, many counties were already moving to uh, allow for self attestation even before the state came out uh, with their guidance. And you know, I think when we think about it, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, yeah, well, people are going to find a way to cheat. But uh, you know, I've heard from county health officers who've said, well, this really uh, might be the best route because you know we have to uh, keep in mind people who don't have a primary care doctor. If you, you do require a doctor's note, then then you have possibly flooding doctors' offices, right? People searching for that note. So I think
0: this way, you do have a more accessible uh, uh, route for people. So many more people became eligible this week. Have we seen a backup on the My Turn website? Like, is it suddenly very difficult to get an appointment? Have I don't know if you've seen this at all this week.
4: You know, I, I haven't seen it, but I will tell you that I've, you know, played around with the website quite a bit. And I have noticed that some counties, it's not too difficult to find an appointment. Uh, Well, other counties, it will take days. And, you know, and I've helped people who become eligible sign up, you know, family members and and friends. And in some counties, it's just takes days, right, of refreshing that page. And other counties, it's a lot easier, it seems, to find an appointment.
0: Well, how else is this affecting the current vaccination efforts? You know, because, Uh, The other thing that's going on is the allocation for teachers and for low income communities. I guess just give us a sense of how it's all going (laughs) at the moment.
4: Yeah. So, you know, one thing that I will say on that is that these low income communities are also where a lot of these people with chronic health conditions live. Right. I mean, it's one of the reasons why these communities became hotspots. You have a high risk population. So the state reserving 40% of vaccines for these communities, I think in theory means that these newly eligible high-risk individuals should have a better chance of getting vaccinated. Um, now, for people who don't live in a low-income zip code, but are also high-risk because of their medical conditions, you know, the state officials have said that, you know, their communities won't necessarily be getting less vaccine. They just won't be seeing as much of an increase in supply. But it's, it's been, uh, what, a week now since that 40% of um, was allocated or was reserved for these communities. So I think we are just now starting to see those vaccines roll into some of these um, harder hit communities. And we should be seeing that more as, um, you know, weeks go by.
0: OK, well, and hopefully we'll get more and more vaccines as the weeks go by. But we'll have to see, I guess. Chris Nichols, I want to bring you into the conversation now because the constant changing of the rules for vaccines and for business restrictions, these have all contributed to the situation that Governor Newsom finds himself in right now, which is fighting a recall election during a pandemic. Newsom had been avoiding these recall issues mostly. Now he seems very primed to fight it. He came out swinging this week. He's making some claims about those behind it.
3: That's right. Uh, he he really did, Nicole. Newsom was all over the national TV networks. That includes ABC and CNN and MSNBC. And during every appearance, he not only defended his record, but he also went on the attack against the recall campaign. And he described its leaders as anti immigrant or connected to right wing militia groups, and also as supporting QAnon conspiracy theories. We have a a clip from him uh, on The View from earlier this week.
1: Well, the chief proponent of this, and and forgive me, this is just objective truth, the chief proponent of this recall petition uh, supports uh, putting microchips into migrants, uh, into immigrants. Uh, the other proponents, the chief, the top ten proponents, the people that are behind this, are members of the Three Percenters, the right-wing militia group. The Proud Boys supported the insurrection. Uh, are folks that quite literally enthusiastically support QAnon uh, conspiracies, and so that's the origin.
0: Here. That's a pretty provocative clip, there, Chris. Um, are there any truth? to these claims that the recall is being pushed by extremists.
3: So on this claim about the anti-immigrant claim, there is some truth to that one. A retired Yolo County Sheriff's deputy named Orrin Heatley, he is a lead organizer of the recall campaign. And back in 2019, he posted on Facebook that it would be a good idea to, quote, microchip all illegal aliens, unquote. And Heatley has described his post in other media reports as hyperbole. He said his Facebook account was deleted. But Newsom's political team provided a screenshot of that post supporting the governor's statement.
0: Well, what about these claims that some of the recall proponents have ties to right-wing militia groups.
3: There's also some truth to those. Uh, The Los Angeles Times investigated this in January. They identified an organizer in El Dorado County as a three percenter, and that is an anti-government extremist movement, according to the Anti-Defamation League. And notably, this organizer has disputed that characterization of the group.
0: Okay. And then there's the ties also to QAnon. Has the governor been right about that?
3: Well, earlier this year, the the Facebook pages of the recall campaign, they repeated some of the same QAnon conspiracy theories, such as the, the baseless allegation that the presidential election was rigged. That's also according to the LA Times. I asked Sacramento State Professor Kim Nalder about the governor's descriptions of the recall organizers, And whether it's really accurate to say they they have these ties to militias and to QAnon. And Nalder studies political psychology. She studies disinformation. And she's also spent some time looking at the images from those recall rallies and the, the signature gathering events.
2: I think it is pretty legitimate to tie the initial effort to those groups. You do see people wearing the 1776 Gear, which is associated with the three percenters, um, the Betsy Ross flag, which is also associated with the three percenters and Q flags as well. I, I think it becomes, you know, less persuasive when you get to kind of the current movement, which has expanded far beyond
3: those groups. So one thing to add, Randy Economy, he's a senior advisor for the recall campaign. He told me this week that the campaign denounces all forms of violence and extremism. He he tried to downplay any ties organizers or leaders have to militia groups or to anti-immigrant comments, saying those are not representative of the overall recall effort.
0: I was curious about that, Chris, because anybody can sign these petitions, right? Newsom has had such a tough year. He's been uh, imposing all these restrictions on business owners, like Kids have been out of school for so long. There are Democrats out there who have signed these uh, recall petitions, right? You have asked political observers what they think of these attacks by Newsom tying all recall uh, supporters to extremist groups. What are they saying about this?
3: Well, I think that they are saying, one, that it's a smart move politically for, for Newsom to do this. But I think they feel that Again, there's some truth to to what Newsom is saying at least for some of the leaders, some of the organizers early in the in the recall effort, but but by no means do they think that the broader group subscribes to these far-right militias or really believes in these QAnon conspiracy theories. So they do draw a line between the two things. I did speak with Sacramento State political science professor Wesley Hussey. He's tracking this recall I think it's politically smart. The state is very anti-Trump, the state is very democratic, it's very liberal. And if
4: he can make the public feel like the recall movement is only being supported and led by far-right groups, California would overwhelmingly reject the recall.
0: Okay, so, Chris, let's go back to Newsom going on national TV this week. Um, In one of these appearances, he was asked whether he feels the broader group of these two million Californians who have signed the recall petitions should be viewed this way, like I just mentioned. What was his response to that?
3: Right. And I think it is important to just reinforce the point that, again, there are plenty of Californians, uh, Republicans, independents and Democrats who have signed these recall petitions, And by no means do all of them subscribe to these conspiracy theories or the far right groups. Many of them feel Newsom's stay at home orders were too strict or that he just hasn't pushed hard enough for schools to reopen. And Newsom's response to that question, does this represent the larger group on CNN, was that he respects those viewpoints. He added the quote, in hindsight, we are all experts.
0: That's Cap Radio's PolitiFact reporter, Chris Nichols. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nicole. And Cal Matters, Ana Ibarra, thank you for joining us as well. Yeah, thank you.
1: So Nicole, this is super interesting, but what happens now? governor is clearly going on offense. He's hitting the national TV circuit to fight this. But what are the next steps?
0: Yeah, so recall organizers submitted all of their signatures this week. They are done collecting. Their final number was 2,117,730. Okay. County election officials have all of those now. They're verifying these. It's just like how they verify mail-in ballots, comparing signatures. As long as they find about one and a half million valid signatures from registered voters, this will go to the ballot. And we should find out if that will happen by the end of April.
1: Right around the time everybody actually knows whether their kids will be back in school by the end of the month, right?
0: Right. And you can imagine just how intense things are going to be when we find out if this will go on the ballot.
1: All right. And that's California State of Mind for this week. Next time, two college journalists join us to talk about their recent story, digging into policies and diversity in campus police forces statewide.
0: That's next time. Thanks for joining us this week. Elizabeth, stay safe, travel safe, and don't get snowed in in Colorado. (laughs) Thanks, Nicole. You have a great week, too. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Tess Figland and produced by Jen Picard. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Devin Cortan is the technical director.
1: Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong.
0: Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Ligustica by Isaac Joel. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week.
3: Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company and from Sutter Health.